Hi, everybody. My name is Lynn, and I am a compulsive overeater. Hi, it's good to be here. And uh, I'm the public information chair. And I'm going to do the following reading from for today, for June 22nd. Unhappy is the man, though he rule the world, who doesn't consider himself supremely blessed. By Seneca. The fact that I am here at all is a blessing. Would I have chosen not to be born? That is the alternative. The fact that I no longer have to compulsively overeat is a supreme blessing indeed. Continuing the way I was going, I might not still be around today. That makes each day a gift. The habit of complaining, of wishing things were different, is nothing more than a way of ensuring depression and misery. As I expose this and other destructive habits to the 12-step program, asking God to remove them, I can allow myself to be happy. I am coming to realize that it is not life that owes me something. It is I who owe something to life. For today, I accept myself. To accept myself is to enjoy my life and to feel supremely blessed. Thanks. Hi, my name is Katie, and I'm a compulsory reader and your entertainment chair. I couldn't do it alone, let me tell you. Okay, I have one more reading before we uh, get to our speaker. This is from Voices of Recovery for today, June 29th. Our purpose in doing step eight is not to judge others, but to learn attitudes of mercy and forgiveness. That's out of the OA 12 and 12 on page 69. An OA friend mailed me a stand dollar and an essay he had written on perfectionism. His writing helps me let go of this character defect. The essay says to look at the sand dollar. It's not broken, but it has flaws. It may be stained and have a nicked edge or a small hole. Can you still love it? If you can learn to love your perfect sand dollar, you are capable of loving the imperfect world and the people around you. People have disappointed you, hurt you, and let you down by being imperfect. Can you let go of the idea of perfection and accept reality, loving people just the way they are? Love the imperfect people around you. Love your imperfect self and your imperfect world. For if you cannot love life the way it is, you will suffer from eternal loneliness. We all live in an imperfect world, surrounded by imperfect people. The ability to love yourself and those around you is a gift from God that enables you to live fully, bravely, and meaningful in an imperfect world. Hi, I'm Shirley, a real recovering compulsive overeater, and your. I am your convention chair. Um, <laughs> it's almost over. 
would like to remind you that all speakers share their own experience, strength, and hope. They do not speak for the Convention, Region 2, or Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. Please remember to silence all cell phones, pagers, or electronic devices. Um, my program chair, um, I believe, you know, did an excellent job. She was actually the first person I asked over two years ago um, when it looked like um, the Region 2 board was going to ask me to be the convention chair. And when it came to this one particular person from my inner group, um, she called me and she said, I don't know that she's going to do it. I said, don't worry about it. I'll talk to her. Um, I've known her for a very long time. She was one of the long timers um, who was speaking when I came in as a newcomer. And I don't know if there are any people here relatively uh, new to program, but um, anyway, in her share, she talked about higher power, and, and then she used HP. And in the Silicon Valley, we have a company that's known as HP. And so I was trying to figure out what did that company have to do with 12 steps. <laughs> I couldn't figure it out. Um, Luckily, back in 1992, we didn't have the newcomers packet that we now have today. And um, thank God this person, she put together this packet, and she actually gave me a copy of Lifeline. And it just so happened that the very first story in the issue was talking about higher power and HP in the same sentence. And I go, oh, that's what she was talking about. Um, another, well, I actually have a lot of stories that I could tell you about her. Um, one time um, I was in the process of finding a new sponsor. Um, and so I left a message on her answering machine. And I think um, at that time the answering machines were using tape. And for some reason, her answering machine wasn't operating correctly at the time that I left the message. And so it was days after she realized I was the one who had called her. Well, in the meantime, HP actually um, helped me hook up um, with someone else, you know, and we kind of laughed about that. The other thing that we have in common is our needs. Um, she was one of the people that I went to um, when I had a total knee replacement, um, and she provided me with a lot of um, support. Because um, people who have um, surgeries on their hips and their knees, I don't know, we seem to like come together and just have um, another thing that we share in common. And so I've always been checking on her, saying, so how are your knees? Anyway, um, I did convince her 
that she was the person in the Silicon Valley who had the longest term of absence in recovery. And um, I convinced her, you know, that um, it would be really nice if she would be our speaker. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce to you Midge from Milpitas. Good morning. I'm Midge, a grateful recovering compulsive overeater. And who I'd really like to be is Mike. <laughs> because he was so humorous and he got his message across. And then who I, other, the another person I'd like to be uh, like is, uh, I think it's Suzanne who did the wonderful monologue, but I don't have a monologue. And then uh, there was Tanya, who had the mathematical mind, a group of friends that I just was treasurer for, would wonder if I ever tried to talk about math. <laughs> And let's see, then there was Barbara. And she looked around the room and she said, Yeah. Yeah. And I was talking to somebody last night and I thought, You know, I um, want to do something different. She says, How are you? I said, I'm a little nervous. And uh, I said, I want to do something different. I want to. Get under the table. <laughs> and I want to say, this is Midge recovering compulsive overeater from under the table. <laughs> so you can't see me. <laughs> um, but really, I'm, I'm grateful to be here, and I'm grateful that Sherry asked me, and thank you so much for recommending me and for telling those stories. Um, Wow, this is awesome. This week has been awesome. And I may, I may go in and out because I have a little ego that's jumping around. And that, that ego was who wanted to get under the table because it's that ego that wants to give the best talk, wants to have the best story, wants to have the best recovery. And then the other side of that ego is, is that. I fear that I have nothing to offer, except I know that's not true. And the reason why I know it's not true is because I'm standing here today. And I heard a long time ago that uh, if I just suit up and show up and that's the best I can do, then that's my recovery. So I'm here today. And I hope to do a little bit more than that today. <laughs> um, Let's see. I need to qualify him. Okay. I also brought my notes. So I'm a person. The other thing I want to tell you is that about me is that uh, I'm the Rule 62 person. 
Okay, it applies it applies for me, taking myself so seriously and taking my dear self so seriously. Um, I wish that I did it another way, but that's one of those character defects that I'm hoping that my higher power can use for good purpose. It takes me back to step six a lot. <laughs> it takes me to step seven a lot, which says, God, I am this way and I will be this way until you change me. Uh, and then it takes me 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12. So anyway, um, they're probably, uh, another thing I want to tell you is my, when I was in high school, my sister uh, saw me walking in the um, hallway, and she said, what's wrong? And I said, what do you mean, what's wrong? She said, you have such a frown on your face. And I, I didn't know that I had a frown on my face. That's my, you know, my series. I'm going to do this. So I hope that I can have a little little levity. And to, to share with you this morning when I came in, um, well, I want to take you back before I left home. I got up uh, this morning, and I watered some plants, and uh, I knocked my husband's um, chlorine over. And it, uh, the chlorine tablets and some of them spilled in water and I said I don't have time to get those up and they were bubbling so I said well I gotta get those up oh, okay so that's that and then I went out to water the plants and I put the hose down and ants crawled all over them and ants were crawling all over me and I had gotten up real early and I had got myself ready except for dressing and I was just going to go out and water plants and so I had to go back in and shower and when I went in the shower I broke my favorite uh, a favorite little dish that I have. So, oh, God, things, bad things happen in threes. The third thing is going to be my talk. <laughs> so, so I get here this morning, and I'm, at, I'm talking to uh, this man, and I see his name tag, and I said, oh, Bob, I really enjoyed your talk last night. And he kind of looked. And... And I said, you know, the, in the long timers meeting, and and he said, oh, I didn't speak at the long timers meeting. <laughs> so all I can do is just fall into his arms and hug him <laughs> because I needed that hug. So that's how I am. <laughs> okay, let let me qualify. Um. Oh, I, I do know that's part of the series thing, too. I came to OA in 1976. I think it was 76. Um, 31 years and 11 months ago. And when I came, I was told, uh, together, we can recover. It's, we can recover from a, a, a hopeless a condition of hopeless condition of mind and body if I just keep coming back. So that's the thing that I've managed to do for those 31 years and 11 months is to keep coming back. And in the coming back, you've taught me so much. You've helped me to grow up. Um, my top weight was 199 pounds. I uh, had taken the weight off when I came to OA by dieting, 
and uh, I was going back up, and I didn't want to go up. Uh, I think somebody in the comedy room last night mentioned something about Peggy Lee, and is that all there is? The song, is that all there is? Well, I was in my bathroom. I had what I thought was the American dream. Good job. <laughs> Husband. Kids. Reasonably successful life. And I had a hole in the middle of my gut that I couldn't fill. And the thing that I had been trying all of my life to do was to fill it with food. And I had been on this diet, and I had taken this weight off, and I didn't want to go back. I didn't want to fill that hole with food. And so I was in my, the room where I, my escape room, which when my kids were teenagers was my bathroom. I was in my bathroom, and I was in the tub, and I read this article. Um, and it was about this woman who had had emotional problems, and she had found a 12-step program. And I thought, that's what, that's it. That's what I want. That's what I need. I don't want to go back to therapy. I want to go somewhere where they can help me with my emotions. So I went to, it was called Emotions Anonymous, and I'm not promoting any other program. I'm just talking about what happened to me in my life. So I went to Emotions Anonymous, and when I was there back in those days, uh, guest speakers in um, programs often came from AA or other programs. So I'm at an uh, Emotions Anonymous meeting, and there's a guy there, and he's talking about what happened to him when he was overeating. And so I'm listening to his story, and the story that he tells is, is to me was a fantastic one. Uh, and what I love about this program is, is when I came, I thought you told the good stories, you know, to all the good things about you. That's what you tell. And I never felt good enough, you know. So anyway, what, what he did was he was telling the story about how he was a pharmaceutical rep. And how during the day, he took his uh, drugs to the reputable places. And in the evening, he was making deals over railroad trestles. And, and he said in order to do that, he had to eat. And he said in the course of eating, he lost his job, his wife, and his children. But the man that was standing before me was a man of average normal size. He was talking sanely, and, I, you know, I sat there, I was amazed. I thought, whatever that man has, that's what I want. And at that time, I knew nothing about a diet plan. That wasn't what attracted me. Something about this person attracted me. I wanted that in my life. I wanted to be able to talk about what happened in my life and have, feel good about myself. So anyway, after the meeting was over, he gave me the address to OA, which is right down the street. Now, another thing about me is um, I've had suffered from emotional problems. And the building that we were in at EA was the mental health building. And I often frequented that building in my work. And I thought, I don't want anybody to know that that I have mental problems, emotional problems. They see me in this building, they'll know that. I mean, that's the thinking of a compulsive addict mind. And so anyway, I, um, 
made a decision that it's better to be thought fat than to be thought crazy. And, <laughs> and I went to this meeting and I heard these people talking about crazy. <laughs> about insane, about doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results, you know, like that was insanity. So I didn't escape it. You know, I, I came to OA to escape insanity. I came to OA and I found recovery from insanity. So that's how I got here. I also got here because um, I had a 19-year-old daughter and um, she wanted uh, to do something, and back during those days, they had uh, Gloria Marshall, where you pay and you have all these machines. And I needed a new car, and uh, for my work, and I didn't have the money for a new car. I only had the money for a, a used car. And I remember telling her, I can't take you there because it'll cost the money for my used car. And so I felt like I needed to do something to to help her. And when I heard about this and it was about weight, I thought, I know just the person who needs this. <laughs> so I bought her. Uh, she didn't stay. She was 19. And at that, that time, there were no young people in our community. Another thing I want to tell you about uh, when I first came into OA is I came in in Louisville, Kentucky. And... Um, I uh, came into, um, in Kentucky at that time, Louisville, the greater area, there were two meetings. There was a meeting in the urban area in which the members were black, and there was a meeting in the suburban area in which the members were white. And <laughs> I worked in the urban area, and I lived in the suburban area. And it was closer to my home. And so I went to the meeting that was closest to my home. So when I walked into the meeting rooms, there were uh, people that I did not know. Um, and they were primarily Caucasian, except for me and my daughter. Um, one of the things that has been my lot in life is to often be the only black person in uh, situations. And one of the things that that has helped me do is to learn how to live in my own skin, regardless of what situation I'm in. And, uh, and that didn't come by um, desire, that came by practice. And um, so that for me was not an issue. My disease was my issue. There were times that I did want to have African-Americans around. But I want to tell you another story that I told you that I had emotional problems. And I was a leader in another group uh, that dealt with emotional problems. And I used to sit there. And in that group, I longed for another black person to be there. And um, I was sitting there longing for this. And one day, a, a, another black woman came. And uh, you talk and you greet people before, and then during the break, you go around and you talk to them. And so um, during the break, I went over, and the woman really didn't want to talk to me. I mean, I could just tell that she didn't want to talk to me. And I 
I thought it was because she was new and it was an uncomfortable situation, which happens frequently. And so one of the, I I had 15 minutes left. Okay. Um, Anyway, um, okay, I'll get back on track. Um, One of the co-leaders came up to me and she said, um, I was going to go, I said, I'm going to go over to the newcomer. She said, I I don't think you want to go over there. And I said, why? She said, um, the woman's husband, the woman had been abused by her husband. She had just, she had just um, reached out to come for help to this group. And she told me that her husband's name was Midge. And that was the lesson for me. The, the, I had, we were there because we had emotional problems. And part of her problem was I, in a black skin, represented her husband who beat her. So that taught me something about that. Um, I saw the lady a couple of weeks later in the grocery store, and she still did not want to talk to me. <laughs> she was on the other, I, I walked, you know, I was going to say something, and she walked away. I mean, you could tell when she didn't want to. Um, the, the essence of that is illness knows no color. But in illness, we do sometimes need the camaraderie of people who understand our cultures, who understand some of the things that we have to deal with. Fortunately, in OA, we come and we find love and understanding beyond our wildest dreams, regardless of what our situation is. This talk is going totally different than I thought it was going to go. Uh, and that's the higher power. But I want to tell you something about uh, what happens for me in relationship with people around my race and my color in OA. I want to read you something that a sponsee wrote to me. This was in 1989. We had a conversation on the phone. And she wrote it down. And she sent me a summary of the conversation. You can't see this, but this is a beat-up-looking piece of paper that I treasure. Um, What she said was, this is what I said to her. She said, this is what I said to her. So she wrote that first. And a little prelude to that is I was in uh, graduate school, and I was taking a course, women's studies course, and one of the things that I came to understand when I was in graduate school, that when they were talking about women, they were not talking about black women. They were talking about white women. And that was such a disappointment for me because I, I, I wanted to be part of. That's the thing that I want to belong. And so this was – I was – um, sponsoring her at the time that I was going through this. And one of the things that my sponsees get when I'm talking to them is part of what I'm recovering from. Not for them to fix me because I don't, when they tell me what's going on with them, it's not for me to fix them. But for me, for us to understand who it is we're talking with. And so this is how this came about. 
So this is what I said. I want you to be with me through my process of discovering my voice as a black woman. I want you to accept and respect me. You don't have to think like I do, but please respect my thoughts, which are different from yours. Um, let's see. I want you to be my friend as I separate and explore my identity as a black woman. I want you to be honest and say what you're really feeling about me as a black woman. And I want to say what I'm feeling about you as a white woman. And a white woman in relation to black people. That's what she said, I said to her. And this is what she wrote to me that she said. As an ally, as your ally, sometimes I will make outrageous mistakes. Please know I'm your ally and let me know what I have done and how I can correct it. She happens to be Jewish. As a Jew, as well as a Christian, as a person of mixed heritage, I want you to respect my richness. My diversity and my celebrating this in many ways, withholding judgments as to how I celebrate and allow aspects of myself to unfold. This was the communication that she and I had with each other. And that's the kind of communication that I like to have with people that I work with, with people in this program, people that I sponsor. Um, it is recovery that I want. It's that thing that I saw in that man that I couldn't put a name to that I wanted. And that came about as a result of having sponsors and working the steps and giving service and... Um, Keep coming back. Now, that's, that's the end of my talk. Now, I'll go back and try to, because I only have 10 minutes, <laughs> less than 10 minutes. Um, and maybe that's it, what I need to say. But I, I just wanted to tell you a little bit, uh, like I said, this is Mishmack, but, but going back um, about the, I did commercial weight loss programs. Um, I stopped smoking, lost, uh, I had lost my weight. Lost 30 pounds, stopped smoking, gained 60. That's what I was like. My husband said when I was talking about smoking, I'd say, well, you know, I think I need to get this up because I'm getting a little fat. You know, I'm putting on, no, I didn't say fat. I'm, I'm putting on a little weight. And he'd say, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. okay. And I'd say it, and I'd say it, and I'd say it. And I kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And he says, well, you know, if the choice of having a wife who smokes or a wife who's going to kill herself with food and get fat, I think I'll take the smoking wife. And that incensed me. 
that hurt my feelings. <laughs> that you know, how dare you call me fat? <laughs> I didn't say that to him. I sold. <laughs> I went up and said, "He thinks I'm fat." Well, I was. You know, I was. <laughs> uh, I I was on. Uh, uh, I went on a uh, doctor prescribed pills. Um, and, uh, my hair fell out. I lost weight. I got so thin. I couldn't eat. I couldn't sleep. And, uh, my daughter was, uh, my oldest daughter was a baby and the nurse came and I said, you know, I think I, I'm not feeling good. She took my temperature. She said, I think you need to go to the doctor. So I went to the doctor and the doctor put me in the hospital. I had depleted everything. I want, to let, I want to let you know how many years it took me to know that I had an anorexic experience. It took me 25 years to know that that experience was my sense of what anorexia, you know, what it, what, what it was to not be able to eat, uh, to want to be thin. My mother used to say to me, you think you're looking cute, but you look curious. <laughs> I've had all kinds of good good things said about me. <laughs> um, I participated in weight loss studies. I had I had done it all, but it was when I came to this program going up, and they said, you know, finding, uh, getting a sponsor, writing out your food, calling it in. In those days, it was 21 days, calling it in. I didn't want to say I couldn't do it, so I didn't break my abstinence. I'd like to tell you that I didn't break my absence because I realized the, the, uh, what it meant to be abstinent. I didn't. I just did it because I, I, I was one of these belligerent, um, self-willed, self-determined people that I can do this. So I did it for 21 days. And uh, back during those days, after you had 21 days of, uh, of um, absence, then you could tell your story. Uh, because then they said you had something to say. Before that time, <laughs> they said you need to listen. I said, how can they tell me I need to listen? They don't know what I need to do. I'm a quick study. <laughs> I see I have very few minutes, and I haven't said anything near what I, what I, what I thought I was going to say. Um, but I want to tell you about being a quick study. I, uh, they, they were talking about the spiritual experience, William James back there in the appendix, you know, and I wanted to get that. You know, I wanted to have that spiritual experience. Uh, I, I wanted the thunder, the thunderbolt experience, but what I got was the William James variety, uh, the, the educational variety. But anyway, I thought, if I can just read this, I can learn it. You know, I can, I, you get this program by reading what they say. So... I was looking for the William James variety of religious experiences because I thought if I got that book, I didn't need the big book. <laughs> at, that, at that time, OA books, we didn't have the, the brown book. I didn't need um, OA, uh, I mean the big book. All I needed was to read William James, and then I'd get it. And so about that time, I was uh, moving away from, from California, which was this Mecca, this place I came. I found my soul in OA. I, I, I discovered a person that I could like in OA. And I did that by going through the steps and looking at the things that I couldn't like about myself. But anyway, 
Um, I couldn't find the William James Wrighty book. I went to the library. I went to bookstores. I could not find that book. And it was a blessing because I wouldn't be here if I had found that book. I would have thought the only thing you need to do is read about this program. So anyway, I went to Illinois. I got a sponsor right away. And um, she had just come back from a retreat. And she said, uh, I had told her about my experience. She says, I have something for you. And she handed me the copy of William James, Variety of Religious Experience. <laughs> I was nowhere near ready to read that book when I wanted to read it. There are things that I have wanted in this program that I was nowhere near ready to receive in this program because I hadn't done the footwork. I hadn't done what you do. They says, rarely have, a per have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. I, don't, I didn't want to follow the path. I wanted to put my foot on it and get everything that was here and get off of it. You know, <laughs> following the path is one day at a time. Um, it's um, realizing that I'm still growing. And I'll tell you this one last story about growth. Um, and identity, uh, and where you get it from. Um, this program says that whether we're eating or not eating, we're higher, we're, we're, we are worthy. We don't come in here if we're overweight and get worthy. We come in here and get abstinent. We are worthy when we come. But I didn't feel that in, deep down inside me. There are a whole lot of reasons why I didn't. And I spent a lot of years in therapy working that out. And a lot of years in this program with it. But anyway, one of the things that uh, just recently happened to me is I just recently, I'll tell you the end and maybe I'll work back to the back. I just recently got a passport. And I didn't think I was going to get it. I thought I was going to have to do a lot of legal stuff to get it. But the um, I had to get my birth, write down, uh, send in my birth certificate. Well, in 1998, I got my birth certificate and I discovered something. I discovered the name of the person that was on my birth certificate had been dead three years before I was born. I discovered that the man that I lived with, I, I knew this long before that, but it was just like now, you know, right in front of me. The man that I lived with as my father was not my father, was my stepfather, and that my own father had been dead for um uh, since I was four years old, but never married my mother and never had anything to do with me. And um, I, I had this feeling, and I knew all of that. I had this feeling of, and my mother would, would say, when you were a baby, you were so pretty, so blah, blah, blah. And I would say, why, if that was the case, why, why was I abandoned? Why was I left? I, can I take 30 seconds? Okay. <laughs> um, anyway, I worked through a lot of that. When I got ready to take my birth certificate, I had gotten an attorney some time before, and it didn't work out that I could get the information that I wanted to have this man's name taken off my birth certificate, and I found out who my biological father was and had his name put on. Well, that didn't work out. So I thought, well, in this program, I am going to tell the truth on this, birth, this um, passport information. 
So I wrote down the name of my real father. And when I went to the city hall to uh, take care of it, and the, I told the clerk, I says, well, I, I have a birth certificate, but I have some other information because, and not the story that I just told you. And um, she says, well, why on earth did your mother do that? I want to tell you, that was the fear of my life, that somebody would know that. And she asked it right out there in my face. <laughs> Why did your mother put the name of somebody who wasn't your father on your birth certificate? And so by this time I got recovery, right? So I said, you know, that was 70 years ago. And they didn't ask me or tell me. <laughs> so I can't tell you. <laughs> you know, that's the result of OA. You know, that's the result of the 12 steps. That's the result of when my self-esteem is on the ground. Somebody says, I am enough, I have enough, I do enough. When I'm... When I'm Thinking that my program, you know, I just don't know what I'm going to do. Somebody says, you know, it helped me to go to 90 meetings in 90 days. And she told me that. And I thought, you know, I can do that. I can do that again. I did it before. I can do it again. Keep coming back. If I haven't said anything that you could relate to today, keep coming back. Somebody will. And this program, it changed my life. I've been in it for 31 years, my marriage for 53 years, and it's because of this program. And I'm grateful. Thank you for being here. Keep coming back. It works. I'm Laura, your literature chair. Thank you very much, Ms. Let's thank our speaker and everyone who's here this morning. Please don't forget that our closing is going to be at 10 a.m. That's next door, isn't it? Okay. And if everyone can stand, we're going to hold hands and close with a third step prayer. After a moment of silence. God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help of thy power thy love, and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. Keep coming back. It works.